All right, let's open up to Second Chronicles chapter 12 tonight. So as we've been going through the book of Second Chronicles, we've seen uh, King Solomon has now passed away. His son Rehoboam has taken over, and the split of Israel has occurred. So now we have the northern kingdom of Israel, and then we have uh, the southern kingdom of Judah, which Rehoboam is over at this point. And we read in Second Chronicles eleven seventeen where Rehoboam was walking in the ways of his fathers, of David and of uh, Solomon. And uh, he was following the ways of the Lord for about three years. And as we get to chapter 12, we have about two more years have passed, and he's no longer walking in the ways of the Lord. He's no longer walking in the ways where he was taught by his father, uh, Solomon, also taught by his grandfather, David. So now we see him starting to neglect responsibilities that he has had, that he has as a king and a spiritual leader for uh, the nation of Israel. And in chapter one, it says, now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, that he forsook the law of the Lord and all of Israel along with him. So we look here and Rehoboam is now forsaking the Lord. He has responsibilities as a king. To take care of his nation, not only physically, but spiritually, right? And, and he's starting to neglect that. He's, he's neglecting his responsibility concerning the service of what a king should be doing. You know, as King Rehoboam should have offered service and devotion to the Lord, he's no longer doing that. And I think there are many people who were raised by godly mothers and godly fathers and grandmothers and grandmothers that they were taught the ways of the Lord, maybe even seem to be starting to walk in the ways of the Lord. But when they get to a certain age, they decide to do things on their own. And that's never a good thing. And in verse 1, in, in something I underline, it said that he strengthened himself. That's never good when we try and strengthen our own self. We need to walk in the ways of the Lord and be humble and walk in his strength. Because I don't know about you, but all the years I've lived on earth, when I've tried to do things of my own strength, when I knew I should have waited on the Lord, it didn't work out too good. And we see throughout Scripture, people like Rehoboam, who would try and strengthen him on his own self, and it doesn't work out for him. We see a whole narrative with the nation of Israel trying to do things on their own or their own way, and it never seems to work out for him. So this seems to be a common problem for us here today in modern terms where people try and do things on their own and they get pride starts to well up that I can do this. I don't need God. I don't need anyone. And it never turns out good. Proverbs sixteen eighteen tells us what pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. So when you see someone starting to puff themselves up and lift themselves up on the pedestal, just wait, there's going to be a fall for them one day. And it's going to be a hard fall if they don't humble themselves. So we must remain humble before the Lord and walk in his strength and not our own. Another thing that he was neglecting was the concern for the spirituality, both his and the nation of Israel, because it says that he abandoned the law of the Lord. So once he started strengthening himself, he did what? He started to abandon the law of the Lord. It was, common, it was a common requirement for kings in that time in the nation of Israel, to have a copy of the law with them. In Deuteronomy seventeen eighteen, it says, it says, also it shall be, 
when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in the book from the one before the priests and the Levites. If Rehoboam had remembered to honor the law, honor the word, he would have known what he had to do. But he forsook that and did not honor God, nor was he honoring the word. He wouldn't even probably study the word because he may not have even had a copy if he was not following uh, the Lord. And I think today in our age, in today's day, that we have so much access to the word of God. We all seem to have a hard copy in our hand right now. But I'm pretty sure we can take out our phones and have millions of translations of the Bible right there in our hand. Well, maybe not a million, but a lot. Translations in our hand. We have such access to it. But a lot of that, those who have Bibles, I have several copies at my house that, that I like to go through different translations. But as many people have Bibles at their house and all they do is collect dust. They never open it up to see what the word actually says. And, and, and so we see Rehoboam's kingdom starting to, to kind of go down because he's no longer following the Lord He's not looking at the, the, the law. He doesn't have a written copy, it seems, for himself to go in and see what he's supposed to be doing. Even though he was trained by his father Solomon and trained by David. And don't get me wrong, they had their own issues. But we see the decline as the, as the generations are going on, not getting into the word. Another thing he neglected was his subordinates because it says that he abandoned the law of the Lord and all of Israel with him. So he wasn't just abandoning the law. We have an entire nation following suit on what their, his, their leader is doing by abandoning the law, so they're going to abandon it as well. You know, us as men, all you men in here, we're supposed to be the heads of our household. That doesn't just mean bringing in the money for our families are bringing in food on the table, but we're supposed to be spiritual leaders as well. And Rehoboam at this point is filling a nation by not being the spiritual leader in his household, the nation of Israel or Judah where he's at now. So we have to be not only providers for our families, but we need to be providers of spirituality for them, the providers of the word and to cover them in that instance. And we see Rehoboam has neglected that responsibility as well for his nation. And just think, two years prior to this, he was actually following the Lord. He said that he followed the Lord for three years, and then he walked away because he, he decided he was going to strengthen himself. He wasn't going to depend on the strength that the Lord and the Spirit would provide for him, but decided to do it on his own. So in verse 2, it says, And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, King of Egypt came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. So Rehoboam decides to stop following the Lord. Two years later, the Lord started bringing judgment upon them because it says they had transgressed against the Lord. It says, with 1,200 chariots, 6,000 horsemen and people without number who came with him out of Egypt, the Lubim, the Sukim, and the Ethiopians, and he, took the, and he took the fortified cities in Judah and came to Jerusalem. So we see this, this king of Egypt coming through the countryside, taking over these fortified cities in Judah that, that Rehoboam had, for, had, had put together and strengthened. 
And we talked about that in, that in past sermons that he had generals there. He had ammunition there. He had everything he needed to fortify these cities, and he was doing it in his own strength. And we see how quick the Lord can turn the tables on him if he wasn't following him. And they came through, and now they're coming upon Jerusalem to uh, take over that area as well. And here we see the sin of Rehoboam and the result that it brings. He is now bringing a chastisement of God upon him and upon the nation of Judah. And we see throughout the Bible, we see, we see how God will use other nations, foreign nations, who worship foreign gods to bring judgment on his people. And God uses people, the worldly people, to bring judgment. He may even do that to us in our own time, where we may start to walk away from him, and he'll bring that discipline on us because we're his children. He wouldn't be a loving God if he, if he didn't bring the discipline on us. You know, I have two children of my own, and when they get out of line, it's time for discipline. And guess what? They get back in line, and we're, we're back in, 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 in relationship with each other, and we see God doing this to the nation of Israel, bringing discipline on them, chastisement on them. And God saves us and delivered us from our sins, right? He did that for us. And he wants to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he wants to do the same thing for Rehoboam and, and, and Judah. He wants to save them and, and keep them away from this if they would only humble themselves and not strengthen their, their own selves. And if they would walk in what God wants them to do, there would be no problem. And we'll see that in a minute, that he'll lift his hand once they repent and they humble themselves. But we see at this point they're not doing that. So God's chastisement is real. Is real. God gives us opportunities to do the right things according to his ways and do the things of his will, but often we want to walk outside of it. And he'll have to chastise us and get us back in line. Verse 5, it goes on, it says, Then uh, Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah, who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. So the leader of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, The Lord is righteous. So they did a good thing here in verse 6. They knew what to do. They knew they needed to humble themselves and come before the Lord. But it says in verse 5 that he was that he was going to discipline them because you have forsaken me, and therefore I have also left you in the hands of Shishak. So Rehoboam was basically saying, Lord, I don't need you. You can go ahead and go. I don't need you, Lord. I've strengthened myself. Look what I've done for Judah. We are strong. We can defend ourselves. So we don't need you. And that pride welled, welled up in him and started, and started getting to his head. But realize, you know, someday God might answer that prayer. And, and, and he answered that prayer. But you want me to leave you alone? Well, okay. I'm going to let these nations come in now and see how strong you are. See how great and mighty what you've done here. Let's see how great it really is. So he allowed these kingdoms uh, to come in. And that's never a good thing. We need to make sure we're always following the Lord. And then they say in the next verse, in, in verse 6, he says that they humbled themselves. And they said that the Lord is righteous. Now that's definitely the right move in the right direction. 
to humble ourselves before God, realize where we've sinned, and humble ourselves before him and let him know that you are righteous, I am not, that you have the strength, I am weak, and that's exactly what we should do whenever we start to stray away from the ways of the Lord. And we see uh, Rehoboam doing this here, but as we'll read on, and we know from reading about him in First Kings, this was not a change that lasted. He was kind of inconsistent with, with the Lord. He was back and forth with him. I'm in trouble now. I'm going to repent. I'm going to go get in some more trouble. I'm going to repent. That kind of seemed to be his reign. So we should constantly say that the Lord is righteous. I think that is as mature believers, we need to constantly keep that in our mind, that the Lord is righteous, and we need to constantly humble ourselves before him and, and let him take control. Verse 7, it says, Now when the Lord saw that, the humble, that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nation. So he says, I'm not going to destroy my people. They asked humbly for forgiveness. They, they, they proclaimed God is righteous. That is who he is. He is a righteous God. And God said, I will not destroy my people. But he also said, but they shall serve Shishak in order that they might appreciate me. So there was a little condition there. I'm not going to destroy them. I'm not going to take them out. But they're going to serve this one who's coming from a foreign land. They're going to serve them, and they're going to understand the difference between serving the world and serving me. And this is what the Lord is saying to them. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. Paul talks about the thorn that he had in his side that kept him humble before the Lord to where he couldn't be proud. And the Lord will do that to us often. And in chapter 12, verse 7, it says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So Paul knew that this, this thorn in his side was going to keep him humble because if he didn't have it, his head could probably swell up and, and, and he'll get a big head and be prideful. Since concerning these things, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, my, uh, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul walked throughout his life with that thorn in his side, whatever that thorn in his side may be, but it kept him humble and kept him at the throne of, of God. And, and the Lord here is trying to humble the nation of Judah and trying to keep them at his throne by allowing this foreign nation to come in, foreign nation to come in and, ha- and them having to serve them and seeing the difference on how good it is to serve God but how taxing it can be to serve the world. Clark said, while they were pious, they found the service of the Lord to be perfect freedom. When they forsook the Lord, they found the fruit to be perfect bondage. 
A sinful life is both expensive and painful. It doesn't pay to live a sinful life. It doesn't pay to live for this world. That's why we need to live for Christ. Verse 9 says, So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and treasures of the king's house. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway and the kings at a house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out. Then they would take them back into the guard room. So after Shishak had came and stolen these golden shields, Rehoboam did something that in a minute when I explain it, we tend to do. He made brass ones and had them guarded as though they were precious. And they were just as good as the gold. You know, many Christians will say, well, I know my relationship with the Lord isn't quite where it needs to be. I know that. But I'm going to pretend. I'm going to act like I'm polished brass. I'm going to act like I'm shining just like gold was. I'm going to say the right things. I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to look good in front of everybody. I'm going to come in on Sunday with no problems. But we're lying to ourselves. We're not the real thing. We're not genuine. We're not like the gold shields. We're more like the brass shields. That if you put them out in that first glance, everything seems all right. But when you start to inspect it, you can tell it's not gold. You can tell it's not pure. And a lot of our lives as, as Christians is just that way. We put on a good front. But in reality, we're really just polished brass. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. In verse 12, it says, When he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him, so as not to destroy him completely. And things also went well in Judah. So here we're seeing the amazing mercy of God. Because God could have wiped him out right there. God could have took Rehoboam and that kingdom of Judah out for that disobedience that they had. But he didn't. He restored uh, Judah back to, to what it was. He restored the people. He didn't destroy them. And just think about the entire book of First Kings and Second Kings and, and First Chronicles and Second Chronicles. We see a nation that's constantly back and forth with the Lord. We see the split between the nations. We see the northern kingdom go straight into idolatry and doesn't even give a second thought about the Lord. Then we see the nation of Judah who they, they've had their moments, they've had their kings that were good kings and served the Lord. But it was back and forth for hundreds of years, and then the Lord finally brought them into captivity. But during those hundreds of years, he had that mercy upon these nations to be able, for them to be able to turn away from their, their evil deeds, turn away from idolatry, and come back to them. How many chances has he given to, these, to this nation? And it makes us go back and think, how many chances has he's given to us? Some of us were saved when we were young. Some of us, we waited later in life to get saved. But God always gave us a chance. The mercy and grace was always there through all our years. And that mercy and grace carries over into the believer's life. That mercy and grace is new every morning when we wake up. And I thank God every morning for it. Because if it wasn't for his grace and mercy, we all know where we would end up. 
they wouldn't be in a good position. We'll still be in captivity to the world, just as Israel was with, uh, with the Syrians and, in, and Judah with those in, in Babylon in captivity. We'd still be captive to the world if it wasn't for his saving grace. And that's all God was asking for. God was asking for this nation to be humble. He was asking for Rehoboam to, to follow him and walk in his ways just like his grandfather and his father did. That's what he was asking. But we see in a minute we're going to talk about him strengthening himself again. Not looking for the strength of the Lord to strengthen the nation and to strengthen him. But he wants to strengthen himself. In verse 13 it says, Thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem. Here we go again. Another issue, strengthening himself. And reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah, an Aminianitis. And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And the acts of Rehoboam, first and last, are they not written in the book of Shemaiah, the prophet, and of Edo, the seer? concerning genealogies. And there, was, and there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Then Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. So we've seen in verse 1 of chapter 12, we see how Rehoboam walks away from the Lord. Three years of serving him, he walks away from the Lord. Then we see in verse 6, he repents. He humbles himself and says that the Lord is righteous. And rightfully so. That's exactly what he should have done. Then we see in verse 12, again, he humbles himself. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord was turned from him. So we've seen the grace and mercy of the Lord come. As soon as he repented and he humbled himself, God's grace and mercy came and forgiveness came. But then we see in verse 13, as we just read, but he strengthened himself again. He was wishy-washy with the Lord. He was back and forth with the Lord. And then verse 14, it says, and he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. There was some great inconsistency with Rehoboam in his reign. And many Christians have a great inconsistency in their walk. They're back and forth. They're teeter-tottering on that fence. They're lukewarm. They're not hot or cold. They don't know what direction they really want to go. And we look here at Rehoboam, and we look at what he's doing, and we all know people, or maybe we, you are that person, I am that person, that we'll go before the Lord when we're in trouble. We'll go before the Lord and, and humble ourselves when we know there's no way out of a situation. Oh, Lord, save me. I can't, I can't do this on my own, even though we were trying to do it on our own the whole time. And we see Rehoboam only going to the Lord when he was in trouble. He was never praising the Lord in, in the good times. He was never praising the Lord when Judah was prospering. He was never praising the Lord when he had his fortified cities and everything seemed great. But when hard times fell, he knew to go to the Lord. And we should go to the Lord when hard times come. No doubt, but we need to also go to him when we're having good times. 
and thank him. It needs to be a consistent thing. And, and Rehoboam was not being consistent in his walk. So we need to decide today who we're going to serve, just like Joshua said. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we need to decide today who we're going to serve. We need to decide which side of the fence we're going to, we're going to be on. And Rehoboam never made that decision. Well, I guess he did. He ended up doing evil on the side of the Lord. So he chose the wrong side of the fence. And in verse 14, it says, And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. The word translated for prepared literally means to be fixed. He did not fix his heart to seek the Lord. And many of us do not fix our hearts to seek the Lord. We come get us a little dose of church on Sunday, a little bit here on Wednesday, but we never fix our heart on the Lord. We just go through the motions sometimes. And that's what, that's what killed Rehoboam and kept him where he was at. He didn't fix his heart on the Lord. His heart was fixed on other areas, fixed on the pride in his heart, fixed probably on trying to build a name up for himself. Fixed on making the nation of Judah known throughout the world for his own sake. But his heart was never fixed on the Lord to build the nation of Judah for God's sake. Fixed, in, fixed his heart on, on God and fixed his heart on, 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 on making riches for the Lord. That's why for us who work, we can't fix our heart on work to lift ourselves up. Let's fix our heart on work to lift the Lord up in everything we do. In everything we do, we need to fix our heart on the Lord, and he'll prosper it. In Matthew eleven thirty says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The Lord's not going to crack a whip over you and put heavy demands on you, but he does want your heart and in, in your, in your walk to be disciplined, to have a disciplined walk with the Lord, a daily Walk where you seek in him day in and day out. It says to keep our minds on things above. We need to constantly be thinking on his word. That doesn't mean that we're laying prostrate all day long. But we're constantly thinking of his word. We're not neglecting the things that Rehoboam neglected. But we're thinking of him day in and day out. And I ask you the question, is your heart fixed on the Lord? Truly fixed on the Lord? Is the image that we give pure or is it brass? Is it shiny and pretty, but it's not the real thing? You know, just search your hearts in that. So we can learn this lesson from Rehoboam. Here we have a man who not only inherited the throne from David and from Solomon, but he was going to inherit a legacy because God, the Lord said that from David, there would never be someone else on that throne. From him, from David, it was always going to be somebody in that lineage. And he was receiving part of that, that legacy here. He was taught the right from wrong. He had the knowledge and the ability and the opportunity to do great things. We all have opportunities to do great things. No matter how young or how old we are, we always have an opportunity to do something great for God. But it's just a matter of us seizing that opportunity to do it. So we can choose to either squander it or we can choose to live our life 
focused on God, focused on what he, he wants, and living out that opportunity. So each day is an opportunity. Rehoboam missed it. And I pray we don't miss it. Amen? All right. Father, we uh, thank you for your word tonight. And we just uh, let us learn from this word, Father, to, to fix ourselves on you, to fix our eyes on you and who you are and your greatness. Fix our eyes on this word that you've given us, this love letter, Lord, that you've written to us. Fix ourselves on your way and your will, Father. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. And let us be, be like the shields of pure gold, Father, that, that, that what you see is really what you get, Father, and that we're not, we're not hiding behind these, these uh, brass shields at all, Lord, but that we, we would walk in a real way, Lord, and that we would walk in your way, Father. Uh, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for those who are here. We ask for your blessings over it, and we ask for your uh, safety on the way home, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.